Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, we talk about all matters fecal, aka the process of elimination. That means gendered stigma against pooping, psychologically induced constipation, a shout out to Oprah's splish splish moment, why white men poop the most times per week, period shits, rectal health, and the power of the bidet. Plus, we talked to Dr. Susan Stryker about the fight for truly inclusive and functional public toilets. Hi, boo-boo. <laughs> Hello. I feel like you should say hi, poo-poo, today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, today's episode is going to be really fun. We're taking a break from the shitty news cycle to talk about literal shit. So consider this your gross-out warning. If you are, like, currently listening to this with a fork full of salad, like, halfway to your mouth or, like, about to bite into a sandwich or, like eat a spoonful of your breakfast, maybe press pause and come back to us another time. (laughs) Right. But if you are like, oh, I don't want to talk about poop. I really challenge you to listen today. Yeah. So like this is an episode. This one is from a business meeting of CYG where like, do you remember how we got onto this topic? I don't even remember how, you know, maybe it was because every time I go to my oncology checkup, I have to have a rectal exam. (laughs) The thing that I thought was hilarious is that in all of our friendship, it was like the first time that I remember us like having a very serious poop conversation. It's true. Although I have other friends who I feel like I talk I talk poop with, I talk shit with, like, on a more regular basis. Yeah, you, so. have, way, you have way grosser friends than me. Oh, my God. <laughs> First of all, okay, so this is exactly why we wanted to do this episode. Like, because the answer is, it's, like, a fine line between, like, this is some gross, like, maybe keep it to yourself subject matter, and this is stigmatized in pretty gendered ways with pretty serious health ramifications. And I don't mean gendered in terms of, like, just men and women, but in terms of whether you are cis, trans, gender nonconforming, in terms of your experience at the doctor and in public toilets, not just, like, in conversations with your friends, but in how you feel about your own body and in your own body. So um, this episode is kind of like, you know, a shitty overview about all things fecal. (laughs) All matters fecal. I remember exactly how we started talking about it. Tell me. We were talking about um, one of us on the phone. It was you, me, and Gina. And I don't remember if it was you and Gina was talking about how you were not pooping regularly. And I was telling you how I am pooping regularly for the first time in my life since hysterectomy. Oh, my God. Maybe it was me because there is nothing I love more than being regular. Like, and this is some real work from home privilege that I'm going to own, which is like when nature calls, I can almost always immediately respond in the most comfortable bathroom in the world, which is my own. Right. One of the greatest things about working at home for yourself that rarely gets called out among its pleasures so, yeah, maybe it was me. Maybe I was bragging like the horrible person I am. <laughs> it, d- it definitely 100% was because 
I, here's the thing. Like, I'm not like embarrassed about pooping, but I'm definitely, you know me, I have a lot of OCD issues, like actually diagnosed OCD issues. Right. And one of them is around <laughs> definitely like cleanliness. And so I know that like for me, like that fine line between like, okay, I would like to discuss my body function, but also like I don't want to be grossed out like in the same way that, you know, like I don't think that poop is uniquely gross. Like I'm not grossed out by poop. I'm not grossed out by blood, but I just don't like it when things are not clean. So <laughs> that's the, that, you know, like that's the fine line that I thread. But the thing that was like really fascinating is that it wasn't until I had that conversation with you and Gina that I was like, wait, like you people have been like pooping every day. I have never been like every single day regular in my life. And I had talked to my doctors about it at one point because people like you like brag about it all the time. And I was like, well, is there something wrong with me that I'm not going all the time? And the doctor was like, no, and it just has to be like normal or like as long as you're not like constipated or bloated or like, you know, in pain, it's like regular is like uh, it's a very subjective kind of thing. Yeah, well, and it's kind of like most things. It's like, what is normal for your body? I did a little bit of research into this because I knew we were going to talk about it. And totally by chance, right around the time I was looking into it, um, I, I get the Washington Post newsletter, The Lily. There was a whole issue of The Lily written by Carol Shee about her, the fact that her book club was reading this book, Gut, by a woman named Julia Enders. And the book, the book club, for the duration of the month that they were reading it, essentially turned into like a poop club where they had a group thread talking about how regular they were, et cetera. And um, she was describing the fact that she was pooping less than the other women, and they believe they were all women, in her book club and cited the statistic that women's large intestines are generally, quote, slightly more lethargic than men's, possibly because <laughs> of hormones. Um, <laughs> Man, so, what a thing. So yeah, and also like... Further digging, as it were, uh, leads to the fact that... Okay, look at these statistics. How often Americans poop white women? 7.2 times a week. White men, 9.9 times a week? What? Yeah. Hispanic women, 7.5 times a week. Hispanic men, 8.6 times. Black women, 5.6. I identify with this strongly. <laughs> and black men, 6.9. Do you know why this is? Why are there racial disparities in poop? So this, this, the statistics you're citing, I saw in this article by Maggie Kurth Baker at 538, which is about how prevalent constipation is and how people are always going to the doctors saying they're constipated. And the doctors are like, what do you mean? Like, you seem to be pooping at an okay rate slash is it all in your head? But like, when I look at those numbers, they are exactly correlated with things like other types of discrimination in society. I'm like, wow, what if a life free of like relatively free of discrimination and full of privilege equals like you're just pooping like crazy? Like, that's what I read into those numbers. I don't know about you, but your bowels are just you're like just, free to let it rip. Your bowels are just like loose and free. This is so fascinating. I'm so glad you like found these stats for me. I just like had never thought of this. And so my thing is because of my hysterectomy, I am very aware of everything that enables uh, that part of my body <laughs> because you know, because you know how surgery is, right? Like whenever they operate on any part of your body, you definitely have to sign paperwork that any adjoining organs are, um, they're like fair game for destruction because they're like medicine is not an exact science. So when you have a hysterectomy, that's your bladder, it's your rectum, you know, like very important things, <laughs> not that like other parts of your body are not important, but there is like, I would say that 
60% of the talk in definitely my online support group is all around like pooping and peeing. Amazing. Because one, that's how you know if they've like broken anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like they won't let you go home from the hospital unless you've like peed a significant amount. Shout out catheters everywhere. <laughs> and also you got to like pass gas, you know, and they're like, okay, like, uh, this seems like we didn't break anything. But the thing is that like everybody experiences like some amount of constipation after surgery because of the painkillers. And I guess like your, your colon is just like very like gun shy at this point and like a various other reasons. But, and like no joke, the online support group, this is all people talk about. It's like, how many days did you go? Uh, how many days did you poop after surgery? People start getting really scared after three or four days. All it is is like people giving each other like recipes <laughs> because they send you home with like so much colace and somehow like that doesn't work. So it's like you have to like, w- you have to walk a lot. You have to, this is like passing a baby, honestly, like no joke. <laughs> it's like you have to walk a lot. You have to take like, uh, you have to, you have to take stuff. That part of it like made me really happy because I was like, okay. I'm not alone in this. There's like thousands of women in this Facebook group. And all we talk about is like the first time that we pooped after a hysterectomy. Right. The first poop after childbirth, the first poop after major surgery. Like, didn't I make you a Rambo first poop graphic? (laughs) Like private (laughs) meme. Because like... You did. it it, It is like a real like marker of like, okay, like some things, some things that feel very fragile are like on their way to functioning. Right. Right. It's like, one, nothing's broken to talk about it. But the thing, you know, it's like the same reason that we love to talk about periods on this show is that it gives you like life-saving information, if you know what I'm saying. Completely. Um, I also think that like it is totally in that same spirit that we wanted to do this this episode. I mean, speaking of like, we never, I don't think we have ever mentioned in this week in menstruation, like period shits. How is that not a thing that we've ever talked about? I think about? we talked about it very early on. Did we? Because I okay. remember, yeah, I remember looking up because I, because <laughs> I'm always fascinated by period poop. And then I believe like somebody had asked us like, why do you poop more when you have your period? And it was something about like the cramping and like water. It was like a whole, there's like a science behind it. But anyway, yes, you're not imagining that your poop is like different slash uh, weird when you're on your period. This is not medical advice. (laughs) No, I know. I'm just like, I'm going to find a resource and we'll put it in the show notes. The other thing too is like thinking about the ways, obviously everybody poops as the children's book says, but like, you know, (laughs) that's what I've heard. I mean, but as we, as we started talking about doing this episode, it was one of those things that I started to see and hear everywhere. I mean, I found out that a woman I've been friends with a long time has had so much trouble pooping that she's like seeing a therapist for help with like the psychological end of it. Like she really, wow, yeah. And, um, and apparently this is the therapist specializes in female anxiety and like it's related effects on like your bodily systems. And so she had like very high hopes that this, that this therapist is going to help her. I had another friend mention that whenever she travels with her mother and sister, they don't poop for the duration of the trip, which is why she doesn't travel oh, with them. That's such a thing. I know that's she doesn't travel with them thing. for more than a week because after that they're unbearable. <laughs> yeah, vacation constipation is 100% a thing. 
But she was sort of the way, well, when, when the way she talked about it is like, yes, there's obviously vacation constipation. You're eating things and you're out of your routine and whatever. But she described it as like they're sharing a hotel room with people. And it's just as much a like stigmatized. We don't want to be gross people who do that in, in close quarters. As in a po- your own family? Yes. And this is what she was saying, like traveling with her own family. Like she very much had the impression it wasn't purely like diet and schedule related that it was also about kind of a gendered shame okay i believe that because here's the thing what i was talking about vacation constipation is like a for real because you're like straying from your normal routine you like sat on a plane that like dried out your colon totally (laughs) totally and also you know like you're not eating your high brand cereal from home or whatever uh (laughs) and also you can't relax in strange bathrooms i have that totally but you know like your your friend's story reminds me of i had a lot of friends in college who would always talk about how they like couldn't poop at like their boyfriend's apartments or like new dudes that they were sleeping with and whatever and like you know on one hand like i get it if you go to somebody's new house like you know should you like give them an inaugural poop like (laughs) you know like sure um i can see how you think that this is an etiquette issue but at the same time like i find it so insane how much we like we try to change our like natural body functions or we try to withhold like you know it's like you got to evacuate your bowels the fact that you were holding that in is like very problematic for the sake of like dating you know like that's weird totally um because do you think that dudes like whenever they stay at your house they're like hmm, probably shouldn't poop here i don't know i mean i guess i guess i, would I truly say, don't know i've never asked a man maybe i should ask somebody <laughs> i would say that all people are probably a little bit shy about like first poop Rambo first poop at like the home of someone they are newly dating. <laughs> like, Rambo first poop. Um, truly just a guess, just a guess. Um, but that I would guess much like the statistics we were talking about earlier in terms of who feels comfortable um, doing that in the home of someone that they are getting sexy with. Uh, I would imagine that white men are the most comfortable with it. If I were a betting woman, um, that's what I would bet. Although, you know, I mean, who knows? That is not scientifically I mean, vetted. <laughs> this is such a thing. If you just Google like pooping boyfriend, not even like pooping <laughs> boyfriend, just pooping boyfriend, <laughs> because I love economy of words. It's like, here are the headlines. Is pooping in front of your boyfriend or girlfriend embarrassing? I couldn't poop for five days while on vacation with my new boyfriend. What's up, XOJ? <laughs> I cannot, cannot poop when my boyfriend is around. Guys, we need to talk about pooping and farting in romantic relationships. That's true. It is true. He, it's healthy. Here's the thing. that The other thing that this, um, like, so there's definitely the, like, health aspect of, like, if you don't exchange information about bodily um, bodily functions, it definitely can come back and bite you in the ass. But this thing about, like, being afraid about, I don't know, like, you know, like, gross stuff, quote, unquote, in romantic relationships, it's kind of, like, a little dangerous and limiting in the sense that, like, romantic relationships are gross and sex can be gross. (laughs) And it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean gross, like, it's disgusting, but just, like, there are bodies involved. Like, things are weird and things move around and there's, like mucus and there's like fluids and all sorts of stuff so not being comfortable around that can really like hinder like intimacy 
Yes, 100%. So all of these good reasons to talk about your poop with your friends, with your lovers, with everyone. There was a New York Times article not long ago about <laughs> that used the phrase, quote, America has softened on stool. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Uh, I am a child. That made me laugh. I mean, I also laughed, which cites all of these toys that are kind of like anthropomorphized manure and poop and like ads that use it and like the smiling poop emoji. Like these are all the kind of data points. They cite some guy from a marketing and branding firm. So I'm a little bit like side eye at, <laughs> at the expert levels here who also says, quote, society is coming to grips with the way that women have been treated differently. And maybe this is another part of the revolution. Women are going to open up about not just their bodies, but their bodily functions. If men don't need to be ashamed, women can shed the shame, too. I know, especially because this one is like a shared bodily function. You know what I mean? I, I get it that like menstruation is supposed to be some like secret club lady thing, even though I do not agree. And I think it's very uh, reductive and stupid. But I like kind of get that. But poop, I'm like, oh, my God, everyone poops. I mean, completely. Everyone. Rich people, poor people, like famous people poop. Like everybody poops. It's president's poop. It's nuts. Yeah, and it's like, it's obviously, it is obviously taboo for a reason. But like the idea that with the people who you are legitimately friends with, it is not a common topic of conversation or it's something that you need to like harbor a ton of shame about is kind of hard for me to understand in some ways. Like it doesn't logically, I mean, granted what does, but it doesn't logically hold up. No, it doesn't. And it's very, 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 very limiting. And it's, it's just like, it just like creates shame in a situation that like doesn't need shame, which is generally how shame works. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, we're getting, right. we're really, we're really like getting to some basic dictionary definition stuff here too. We also have to give credit where credit is due to Oprah. Oh, my God. Oprah really put poop conversation front and center, like, early 2000s, like, in a way that the world was not ready. This is what made Dr. Oz, correct? Like, like the whole yes. poop thing. This is why Oprah, like, keeps him around, basically. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because he loves to talk about stool and stool as a good digestion health indicator. <laughs> you know, like... Oprah's entire thing is around, like, eating right and secretly, like, losing weight. So let's talk about poop. Also, the etymology of stool is something that will never not be funny to me, like, in this context. Like, the idea that it is a seat for one person. Like, that is what a stool is. <laughs> you know what? A stool is a seat without back or arms, but it is also a piece of feces. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Are you one of those people that, like, you know all, like, what the shape is supposed to be and, like, what it means? Like, do you know all that stuff? 
I gotta say that, like, at various points in my life, I have done a Google for, like, mm, it's been several days of this situation. Is it okay? Um, but until until I was prepping to do this episode, I couldn't have told you that that is called the Bristol stool scale. <laughs> yeah, I used to be one of those people that I never checked. I'm like, I just flush. That's what you're supposed to do. And then now I'm like, I need to see what's going on here. Even though Oprah confessed in that episode that she looks in the toilet bowl after she poops, you were like, I don't. I no. I listen. We've already talked about my OCD. The number one thing and that triggers me is seeing a toilet bowl, like whether it's open or closed, or it's not for me. It is true that um, the toilet I, seat is always all the way down at your house, the lid and everything. Yeah, and the door is always closed because I don't like to see that shit. Um, <laughs> that shit literally. To do, literally. Yeah, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the shit. I just don't like seeing the bowl. If I could have an outhouse, like, I would be so down for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine the trend pieces? Like, woman builds Brooklyn outhouse. Like, you would be all over the New York Times style yeah, section for I'd your like, upscale outhouse. <laughs> I'm not trying to have feces in my house. Like I'm already <laughs> like, I already do not keep my toothbrush out. I like don't keep my towels in the bathroom that I poop in. It's like all sorts of things. It's disgusting. Feces are disgusting. Oh my God. Also, also, they're a part of life. You just said the phrase, the bathroom that I poop in, which like confirms that this is like, I you are worthy. Bathrooms. You, I know you're, you are worthy of like a style section article about this. I swear to God. 100%. Are you kidding me? What else? What else is weird that I do? Well, how do you feel about the bidet? Oh, you know, I'm a European. I'm down for a bidet. I know. You can buy like you can buy external attachments that you can add. Right. So one of the things that has gotten a lot of press in this department in the past year is the fact that Mickey Agrawal, who was known, you might have known from an earlier episode we did about the sexual harassment complaints against her at Finks, which is a company she founded has gone on to producing, like, attachable home bidets, and her company is called Tushy. Tushy? Mm-hmm. Tushy. Um, I love it when I go to somebody's house and, I ha- and they have a Tushy, but I love it even more when I go to their house and they have a Toto Japanese toilet. Oh, my God, the one with, like, the full arm of buttons? You've been to a person? Yeah. You've been to a private home that has one of those? That's amazing. Yes! First of all, like, in Hawaii, everybody has them. <laughs> Because, like, Hawaii is so close to Japan. Also in Japan, everybody has them. But I went to a home the other day, and I was like, you know what? Like, I would consider dating this person. This is a good investment. (laughs) It was, like, clearly a dude. And I was like, hmm, thank you, sir. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a house where we had, like, a separate bidet. There was, like, a toilet, and then there was a bidet also. So that's not weird to me. Also, uh, grew up in a Muslim home where you don't use toilet paper. You use water. So it's the whole thing. Which, you know, makes complete and total sense. I mean, I, I feel like the first time the first time I traveled to Japan and tried all of the buttons, which was my first, like, real immersive bidet experience, I was seriously like, how, this is another way I feel completely shortchanged by my the cultural limitations of my American upbringing. Because dang if it is not the best thing ever to, like, choose a bunch of different functions and just, like, you know, get on in there with some water. <laughs> I know. I mean, listen, wiping with water is the best way to wipe. Everybody knows this. It's literally why people around the world do it. But here's the thing that I will say about the about the Toto toilet is that the best function on it is the dryer. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Completely. I would say that the only thing about it that runs counterintuitive to the message we're trying to get at with this episode is the like, well, actually, maybe not. How do you feel about the fake flush privacy noise generator? <laughs> 
Oh, you know, that was funny. I had never seen that until I was in Hawaii <laughs> earlier this year. And I was like, what's going on here? But here's the thing. People do the fake flush all the time in the toilet. Like, I do the fake flush. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I like how you're like, I feel great about my fake flushing. <laughs> I feel fine about the, the flush because here's the thing that I was trying to remember is that I don't actually know why I'm doing the fake flush. If you're in the bathroom for 20 minutes, even if you're fake flushing, chances are that you're shitting. Like, it's fine. Unless it's a public so, bathroom with a lot of turnover, a.k.a. one of the safest multi-stalled places to shit, I feel. Because it's like, there's, oh, there's anonymity man. due to the traffic. And <laughs> that's so nuts because, like, that's my most, like, high-anxiety poop situation. Oh, God. I'm like, there's no one to pin it on here. Like, you can pin it on anyone. Like, that's why it's so good. <laughs> it's on anyone. No way. No way. No way because I'm like, somebody's going to use this right after. After you, are you, um, do you subscribe to the many, like, uh, like mask your poop in your house, like smells? No, but I have given them as gifts to poop shy friends. I am a really, really, really big fan of the Aesop one, the poop drops. Oh yeah. What are they called? Then, um, they're called poop drops. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. The, the poop drops, but the best oh, thing about drops. them is sorry. that, like, the, <laughs> sorry, poo drops and poop drops. <laughs> oh. And, but the best thing about them is that like all the Aesop products have writing in French and in French, it just says like shit drops. <laughs> like it's not poo. It's not the, definitely not the polite way to say it. And I'm like, yes. I don't know. I like that. There's this other product, I guess, that they use at the wing. I don't know. Maybe it's like, I think the brand might be called Poopuri or something. Mm-hmm. And every time I smell it all over the bathroom, I'm like, thank you, ladies. Like, <laughs> it just smells like an expensive ass flower in here. The telltale. And, every, and everybody is happy. Right. Call Your Girlfriend is brought to you by The Beyond Burger, an uncompromisingly delicious plant-based burger that is packed with protein and better for you and the planet. The Beyond Burger is not your hippie college roommate's veggie burger. It's a sizzling sensation created for meat lovers everywhere. The Beyond Burger is made from simple ingredients applied in fresh ways. They use protein from peas, potato starch, and coconut oil without gluten, soy, or GMOs. As someone who has not eaten beef-based burgers for most of my life, let me tell you, I have tried pretty much every veggie burger out there. And these Beyond Burgers are really good. They hold up on the grill. People are like, wait a minute, is this a veggie one or a meat one? They sniff it. They poke it. You have to be like, listen, this is the Beyond Burger, the no meat one. They taste so good. Are you ready to taste the future of protein made from plants? You should be. Visit beyondmeat.com slash girlfriend and click the where to find button to find a local retailer near you. That's beyondmeat.com slash girlfriend. Controversial opinion. How do you feel about taking all your clothes off when you poop? Uh, You mean wearing a jumpsuit? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Or like, or just a regular Monday at my house. (laughs) Um, I would say I do it pretty rarely. I do not feel any kind of way about it. Do you love it, though? No. Do you love it, though? I really don't. I don't feel any oh, kind man. of way about it. And to be honest, until you asked me just now, it's something I hadn't really thought about. I suppose it's been something that's that I've done, like, right before I take a shower or something, but I have not, like, gone out of my way to do it or stop it from happening. Is this a thing? Do people love to poop naked? Oh, 
listen, it's the whole thing. I was talking to friends about it this weekend and it was so, the room was like very divided, but the people who do it love it. Mm -hmm. And again, this is where my OCD comes out to shine where I was like, you know, my real problem is that every time after I poop, I take a shower um, when I'm at home, which is like a terrible idea. Wow. You can never live in Southern California. (laughs) I don't care about the water. I'm the most important person in the equation. (laughs) And one other thing I talk to a lot with my ladies about is um, if you take antidepressants, mental health medication definitely has like poop ramifications, Mm. especially if you're taking anything in the amphetamine family. And I was like, oh, this is truly what has made me regular. It's like you take the Vyvanse and then you're like sold. I'm definitely going to poop in the next 45 minutes. I know how to plan my whole day now. Wow. So it's a it's just a bonus of taking care of your mental health with like some drugs that are helping you. <laughs> like, right. But I feel like this but this is what happens to people who drink coffee, yes? Like I don't drink coffee, but I imagine that it's the same thing. Um yeah, I would say that it's hard for me. I mean, I enjoy so much about the experience of my morning cup of coffee that it has been hard it's hard for me to separate it from also pooping regularly, but I w- I would say that they are not unrelated phenomena. <laughs> Okay, so all of this to say that you should definitely monitor your poop. You should not be shy to talk to your doctor about it if anything has changed. I was deathly afraid of rectal exams my whole life. Like, and you know how I feel about butt stuff. And, like, I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> the first time I had to have one, because my doctor knows all of my hangups, she was like, this is going to be fine. Also, she always says it with a grin where she goes, I'm so sorry, I have to check your butt. And she looks like very inconvenienced and pained, but she's doing it for my benefit. Does she say ch- check your butt? Like that's a, like a professional yeah. medical term. <laughs> yeah, but she's like, like, she's cool. My doctor is cool. And the first time that she did it, I was like so tense. I didn't want to have it. And I was like, oh, this wasn't so bad. And the nurse looked at me and she goes, everybody says that. <laughs> oh, my God. And I died. And then now it's like, you have, they have to do it like fairly regularly. And I'm like, oh, this is maybe the most enjoyable part of this fucking like experience all the time. So it's fine. But all of this to say that like if I can handle medical butt stuff, like you can handle medical butt stuff. And you know what? Dr. Oz, for being a charlatan or whatever, is right that checking your poop is a good health indicator. Oh, my God. Completely. And also, like, noticing that it is uncomfortable or it is, like, something is out of sync with your normal routine, like, when you poop. Yeah, like, maybe you should flag it and check up on it. And maybe you should also think about it in connection to what's happening with you, like, mentally and psychologically at that moment. I will link to this essay Um, that Mona Chalabi wrote earlier this year about the fact that she had rectal bleeding for like 10 years and totally ignored it. Like it was one of those things where she... Okay, you should definitely go to the doctor if you have rectal bleeding. Right. And, and, you know, and I will link to it so you can read the whole thing. But like at the end of the day, she's like, yeah, like it is connected to stress and things that are happening psychologically. Mm -hmm. And, And she notes that in a review of 13 studies... Patients who tried a psychological approach to these is- digestive issues saw greater improvements than those who did not. So it's like your body systems are all connected. And don't have shame about your body. Right. And also this stuff is all social. So um, we also this week have an interview that's related to the fact that like some people are not prevented from pooping by personal inhibitions. They are, uh, they are facing hostility on this issue when it comes to using a public bathroom because of social stigma and, in some cases, shitty laws. So I interviewed Professor Susan Stryker. Do you know who she is? 
Yes, she's amazing. <laughs> she's a filmmaker. She is a historian and a professor of feminism and gender studies. She really hit home for me with this article she wrote. It's a couple of years ago now, but I remembered it and wanted to call her for this episode because it was really reframing the conversation about public bathrooms, not just as like a trans rights issue, which it absolutely is, but looking at the public bathroom as a way that the rights of a lot of different people have been limited over time and how that cu- that cuts not just along gender lines, but along race lines and how this is all connected. So here is the brilliant Dr. Susan Stryker. Professor Stryker, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. We're talking about all things bathroom on this episode. And I remembered reading an op-ed from you a few years ago when I think that bathroom bills were just starting to come into maybe like popular awareness, um, or maybe that tide was just starting to rise, where you pointed out that the very idea of gender-segregated public toilets are social constructs and unnatural ones at that. And I'm, I'm hoping you could talk a little bit about that perspective on the public bathroom. Sure. You know, that op-ed piece that you're talking about came out in the context of the HB2 controversy in North Carolina, which was, you know, I think the first time that the trans bathroom wards, you know, really, you know, hit hit the mainstream. Although, of course, those issues had been going on for years. And there there had actually been an important earlier case of sort of politicizing and weaponizing the transgender bathroom debate to overturn uh, very broad-based anti-discrimination ordinances in in Houston. And that, that took place in the fall of 2015, and I think was kind of a, you know, kind of a, an early indicator of ways that these issues were going to kind of get weaponized and politicized in the context of the, you know, 2016 electoral season. But yeah, to your point about sex-segregated bathrooms being social constructions, that's really true. You know, like, you know, I'm a historian by training, and if you look back in history, the idea of a public sex-segregated toilet is really a pretty recent invention. Just speaking about the United States, uh, you didn't have indoor plumbing uh, with you know water closets and toilets inside buildings until I think the first building was like in the 1840s that had indoor plumbing, and those toilets were not sex-segregated. They were like rows of individual stalls, water closets with a common washing up area. It really wasn't until the later 19th century, as you had more women entering into the paid workforce, that workplaces started requiring separate washing up and, um, you know, urinating and defecating facilities for their female employees. So then by the 20th century, you know, it comes to be seen as something that's, you know, natural and inevitable and given, and that to suggest that we could do our bathrooms differently than we do seems to fly in the face of nature itself. And really, it's just a problem of of uh, architecture. Right. Well, and then also speaking of inherited ideas from that era, like so many of these bathroom bills are advanced in the name of the safety of cisgender women. And it's like, I imagine you can draw a line from the fact that like we need separate bathrooms for women as they 
enter the public sphere to using that as a justification for discrimination in the modern era. Exactly. You know, and the other thing I'd like to point out is that one of the places where you see segregation around bathrooms starting to happen in the 19th century is not so much around sex gender, but it's around race. You know, that remember that it's in the 1870s after the end of the period of reconstruction after the Civil War that the Jim Crow laws start going into place and that the U.S. constructs a, a racial apartheid system in the South. And you had white and colored bathrooms, you know, so-called. And what, you know, I find really fascinating is that, you know, you can see pictures of public toilets and it will say men, women, colored, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, the implication of that is sex-segregated spaces are white privileges and people of color are consigned to an ungendered space. So what we could say is that even the development of sex-segregated public toilets is it's in, inflected by race and that it's been the norm for people of color to have non-sex-segregated toilets and for sex segregation to be a racial privilege. So it gets very complicated very quickly, I think, to talk about the history of segregating certain kinds of public spaces for certain kinds of bodies. And yes, the creation of the women's room becomes an important way of advancing a kind of white female privilege, if you want to look at it that way. You know, like the early suffragists, You know, they were advocating not necessarily for the votes of all women, but for white women. You know, and like some of the arguments could be a black man can vote, but a white woman can't. You know, so like that that was seen as like a contradiction in the the racial system that like white women couldn't vote, but black men could. You know, all of these different ways that public space can create hierarchies of different kinds of bodies. So look along the axis of race look along the axis of ability, disability, and, you know, kind of start to unpack the way that public spaces privilege, you know, certain kinds of bodies over other kinds of bodies. So it's not just a trans cis thing or a man-woman thing. Yeah. And one of the things I love about your work is that it is really looking toward best practices for the future. So instead of merely just, I mean, which is not mere, but instead of instead of pointing out um, all of these historical factors that contribute to, you know, why public toilets are how they are today, um, you're also kind of, I, I would say you're a bit of a futurist as well. <laughs> so maybe you could talk a bit about... Um, architectural best practices, or like if you could wave a wand and change all public facilities in the world, what would they look like? Well, I would say two things. It's like, I really don't think there is a one-size-fits-all universal design that accommodates all people at all times. I do think we can do better than we currently do. And just one example of ways that we could change bathroom architecture in ways that both accommodate transgender needs as well as, you know, promoting safety for everyone and being more inclusive of, you know, many different kinds of bodily diversity. I would like to point your listeners to a website, stalled.online, stalled.online. And this is a 
Um, what I like to think of as kind of like an open source software for more inclusive public toilet design. The lead um, brains behind all of this is my uh, my friend and colleague, Joel Sanders, who's an architect at the, the Yale School of Architecture, uh, who also runs a private uh, architectural practice in New York City. And he's somebody who's been interested for a very long time in the relationship between sexuality and gender in the built environment and the ways that built environment can reproduce heteronormativity or reproduce gender conventions, um, how you can use design to enact your vision of a sort of a more justly organized society. The Stalls project provides a couple of templates for how you can um, both like retrofit existing public toilets in a way that preserves the number of fixtures, provides more privacy, actually increases safety by having um, you know, it's like more more eyes on other users, you know, that it's not like it's not treating the bathroom like um, an isolated uh, kind of cul-de-sac that, you know, people go into where, you know, in some ways it might be easier for violence to happen in those sorts of enclosed and, you know, secluded spaces so that there's a different relationship between the, like the, the washing up and grooming areas and public circulation spaces, while at the same time, like creating more, uh, more privacy in the individual stalls. So it's a, you know, a mixed gender, multi-stall public toilet that changes the way that the public-private divide is built. It's a little hard to describe that in words when people are just listening, but I really encourage your viewers to go look at that um, that website, stalled.online. There's also, um, um, you know, besides sort of like a demonstration of uh, an existing project that's actually been built, uh, there's also a template for thinking about ways that you could build new construction bathrooms in places like, you know, airports or shopping malls, you know, so that you could, you could actually um, increase access to a more inclusive kind of public toilet and really highly trafficked public spaces. And, and it's really exciting for me as um, someone who spends a lot of time either in archives or in classrooms or at my laptop typing words away to be involved in projects that actually change the way the world is organized. It's like there's something very satisfying about uh, not just having a good idea, but seeing a good idea become um, a brick and mortar, you know, actually existing thing. Right. And, you know, and one thing I keep thinking about listening to you talk is that um, this is an issue uh, in, in physical space in terms of the built environment, but, you know, also changing the built environment physically has like very positive physical health ramifications for the people who use those facilities. Frankly, like everybody poops health wise, you know, like it is an important thing to have access to that for your own personal physicality, not just for, you know, the broader social good or personal safety. Exactly. You know, that um, there's evidence that like holding urine for a long time in your bladder can lead to bladder infections, which can then have other problems, you know, besides the physical discomfort of like really feeling like you need to pee and not being able to do that someplace. Yeah, there's a, a definite 
increase in both like comfort and health, I think, for, you know, increasing the number of spaces in public that people can use to relieve themselves. You know, and as a historian, you know, the thing I keep coming back to is saying like how things are is not how things always were, which you can kind of flip around and say, well, and likewise, how things are now is not necessarily how things will always be. Used to be there wasn't indoor plumbing. People would have chamber pots in their, their bedrooms, you know, if they had a house with a bedroom in it, or they would, they lived in cities, they might, you know, defecate and urinate off bridges or empty their chamber pots into the, you know, into the Thames in London, you know, and there are reasons why like those were sometimes not hygienic ways to deal with human waste, but the historical solutions to those problems were not necessarily to build up segregated public toilets. It's like there have been, you know, plenty of places even now where people use mixed gender toilets, but most people, you know, if you share a home with somebody of another gender than you, it's like you use the same the same toilets. If you're going to go to a street festival or a rock concert or something, it's like any big public event, you're going to get in that line of porta-potties and they're not sex segregated. We already know how to do this at some level. You know, it's, it's not like, rocket science. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's like, and yet there are some design solutions that I think are really elegant that, you know, so increase safety, health, you know, accessibility, don't create barriers to access for disabled people or members of religious minorities who, like, you know, might need to, like, related to, you know, kind of prayer. There are some really practical solutions to, like, making space more accessible and welcoming. But the biggest thing, I really think, is, like, changing people's minds. You know, it's like, it, people freak out around toilets. It's like, I think because it involves uh, things that are really stigmatized, eliminating waste from your body and privacy. And like most people have some sense of shame around acts of bodily elimination or like, or they feel unsafe about, you know, the gendered parts of their bodies in public. You know, it's, um, it's the psychological barriers that I think are actually the most significant. You know, you could build a perfectly accessible multi-gender toilet, and if nobody uses it, then it kind of defeats the purpose. In some ways, you know, I, I, I like the idea of not presenting these kinds of multi-user mixed-gender toilets as, like, anything radical. Because, like, you know, then I think you get caught up, you know, and some people thinking, it's like, oh, you know, these these crazy trans people are just pushing their personal agenda and trying to make all of us, you know, normal people, you know, deal with their, you know, weird little gender situation, rather to just say, look, this is like really simple. It's like we use spaces like this all the time. It's like, it's no big deal, nothing to freak out about, you know. And if you just build something that people sort of intuitively feel is like, oh, like there's the toilet over there and I'll go behind that door and do my business and come out and wash my hands right there and then, you know, go on about my business. I think people won't even think about it at some level. You know, it just becomes intuitively obvious. And so like there's a way I think we can it was like de-escalate, de-weaponize the way public toilets are being used in a sort of really 
current contested, polarized political moment that we live in. It just doesn't have to be the issue that people are making it into. Right. The rock concert porta potty agenda <laughs> or right. like the right, like the home bathroom agenda, like totally, totally average stuff here. Yeah. This has been fantastic. I really your your perspective is is so necessary. And we're all going to go check out stalled.online right now. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing the podcast come out. Just to reiterate, the project she was talking about in terms of thinking about the future of public bathrooms is called Stalled, and we will link to it in the show notes. I love it. I learned so much today. Uh, are you, do you feel like, <laughs> do you feel like we're going to talk about poop all the time now? Like privately, obviously Listen, not on the I show. I am totally fine talking about my poop. I feel lighter already. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's all good. Maybe next week we can talk about farting because as much as I'm like very cool with pooping, I have issues, some issues with farting. Oh my God. Don't you feel like it's kind of implied by our conversation here? Like it's all related Listen, it's 100% all related. I And to be clear, I think that like farting is a normal function of life. I just don't like it when people do it for like fun. How do you feel about a fart joke? Like if I, if I like wanted to express my disdain for Trump's Supreme Court pick by just sitting here like. Listen, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm done with you. See you on the internet. Never. <laughs> <laughs> You're still going. <laughs> see, I take it back. I'm 100% down with farts now. I'll see you in the bathroom. <laughs> see you in the public bathroom, boo boo. Bye. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at CallYRGF. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Ricks. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.